What is a hypocrite? Says one thing and does another. Tells other people what to do, but they don't do it themselves. Wishy-washy. Duplicitous. I, I, I put together some definitions here. Someone who says one thing and does another. Uh, someone who doesn't practice what they preach. You know, they, they tell other people what to do, but they don't do it themselves. Uh, the Greek lexicon has this for a definition for hip- hypocrite. An actor or pretender. So in uh, Greek culture, that's what they called an actor, a hypocrite, or hypocritus. Uh, second definition, a duplicitous or insincere person. Wishy-washy. Yeah. And then uh, Merriam-Webster has a couple definitions. One who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. Or number two, one who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Or one might say, ideals. Now my question is, are you a hypocrite? Well, yeah, some head nodding, some shake. Well, I don't, maybe sometimes. I wouldn't identify as a hypocrite, but maybe I do some hypocritical things from time to time. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, one of the most uh, common critiques of Christians today is that they're a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, that's what the skeptics and critics say about Christianity and Christians in particular. They're hypocrites. And you might have heard this before, this excuse. And I know uh, several individuals uh, through the course of my life who um, left the faith or didn't even want to consider the faith because they knew somebody who claimed to be a Christian who didn't act like it, who hurt them badly, who didn't practice what they preach. I don't know, you probably have had this experience in your life. Barna Research Group did a study on barriers to the faith, and they came up with um, the number one barrier to the faith for millennials and boomers was that Christians are hypocrites. That's what they said when surveyed. It was the number two barrier for uh, Gen Z and Gen X. So whether or not you believe this is a problem with Christianity, that is the perception out there. Uh, But it's probably... Not us Lutherans, right? Not us. It's those uh, other Christians. Yeah. Well, if this is true, this is the case, uh, it calls for the church um, to repent. Like, this calls for some serious self-examination, some self-reflection, some repentance, and that's exactly the message that John the Baptist has for us this morning in our gospel text. He calls for repentance. And one of the groups uh, that he calls out in particular are the Pharisees who were the most notorious hypocrites of the New Testament. John the Baptist. I, this is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I just love John the Baptist. He was just this wild man, fearless, fiery preacher, hanging out in the wilderness. I don't know, it's just a very attractive character to me for uh, some reason. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt for his clothing, which was reminiscent of uh, some Old Testament prophets like Elijah. And... Uh, Like these Old Testament prophets, he did not choose a fancy life, um, but uh, choose to live a simple life. His diet consisted of locusts and wild honey, not exactly enticing a fare fare to eat. And um, John's clothing and his diet function as enacted prophecies. So what does this mean, enacted prophecies? Well, his character itself was like a a prophecy, a judgment against the worldliness, materialism, and the excessive concern for creature comforts of the people of his day. 
And when I reflect on John the Baptist, I, I think about like my own life. And it's like, okay, am I too attached to my earthly possessions? Am I too comfortable and cozy with my existence, my temporary home here on earth? Can people tell by my life and my conduct and the way I do things that my treasures truly are stored up in heaven and not on earth? You know, his character just makes me reflect on myself. I don't know about you. It calls us to reflect on our lives and how we represent God here on earth. Well, um, John the Baptist came and his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repentance is, uh, in the Greek, is metanoiata, which, or, which literally means to change one's mind, to change your mind. And it's a, really a call to conversion, uh, the call of repentance. It's, you're going down a path that leads towards destruction, and you need to turn to the Lord for salvation. And it's a gracious invita- invitation uh, to repent, is to turn from sin and turn towards the Lord. Other part of his message was prepare the way of the Lord, make, make his path straight. The gospel writer Matthew tells us that this is the, the, the work of John the Baptist, uh, the forerunner of the Christ. He was out in the wilderness proclaiming this message, and here we get repentance being likened to building a straight road. And that building of a straight road, is gotta, it's got to cut through every human heart. Uh, to prepare the way for the Messiah. And what does that look like? Well, it's confessing sin. It's becoming sorrowful and, and, you know, contrition uh, for one's sin and repenting of it. And John garnered a lot of attention. People from all over Judea, uh, Samaria, the hill country around the Jordan, they were coming out to to repent and confess their sins and be baptized uh, there in the Jordan River. He even garnered the attention of the secular and religious authorities of his day. Uh, They took notice of his ministry. And we get uh, in our text, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're coming out to see what's going on as well. And something tells me that they weren't coming out to repent or to get baptized uh, per se. And what does John have to say to them? You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I thought about starting my sermon out like this. You know, <laughs> Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. But I consulted with some people, and they're like, yeah, maybe not do that. Oh, yeah. probably, probably shouldn't do that. So John likens the Pharisees to a brood of vipers. And Jesus does the same in Matthew chapter 23. And that begs the question, why snakes? Why compare these guys to snakes? To answer that question, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We've got that ancient serpent, that old serpent, who was a liar. He lied. And so snakes were kind of synonymous with lying throughout the Old Testament scripture and throughout this culture. And um, Jesus and John the Baptist both call these Pharisees a brood of vipers. And what were they lying about? What was their big lie? Well... First John says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. They seem to have no need for repentance, or so they thought. They thought they were good. They didn't need John's baptism. Well, this is a lie, right? 
And so if we uh, would like to avoid being hypocrites and, and have a good witness to the world, we should probably pay attention to what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees. And he says this in Matthew chapter 23, they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. But we don't do that, right? Here at Ascension, we never do stuff like this. Okay, maybe we do. Maybe we do when uh, we have people come into our midst and we have certain expectations of how you conduct yourself as a, as a Christian, you know, to live a, a chaste, sober, godly life, and then we don't really do anything to help them, uh, to, to come down uh, and on the level and build a relationship and give them the resources they need uh, to fulfill their calling in Christ. Maybe we are guilty of that sometimes. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. This one again, like, we don't do this, right? You don't ever do your acts of service uh, to be seen by others. You don't want recognition for your service or a plaque on the wall. No, we don't do this here for sure. All right, next one. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness? These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, well, yeah, I'm pretty good about giving my tithe and making sure it lands in the offering plate every week, but as far as, like, seeking justice for the poor or showing mercy, I do it sometimes, you know, when the occasion arises. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. What a scathing indictment from Jesus here. Ouch. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, the Pharisees, they were just more concerned with their own purity and their own righteousness and their own goodness that they neglected um, to fulfill God's commands of, of loving him and loving their neighbor. Um, they got clouded with their own pursuit of righteousness, that they totally missed the point of all of the law. And they pointed the finger at other people and condemned them, judged them for their conduct, looked down their nose at other people. And they also depended on their own cultural heritage and their family heritage for their righteousness. And John the Baptist had choice words. You know, God can raise up stones to be sons of Abraham. So your heritage isn't worth it. Essentially, the Pharisees were guilty of self-righteousness, trying to earn righteousness by their own good deeds, their own works. John the Baptist calls them out. Jesus calls them out. He says, nope, that's not how you make it into the kingdom. And guess what? We're guilty of some of this pharisaical, hypocritical stuff. We, we're guilty of it. Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, John realized that uh, he, was, he was just a forerunner. He was just preparing the way, making straight the highway, calling people to repentance, but his baptism didn't complete the work. It was only, only got people so far he knew his job was just to point to the one who could 
do the work necessary for salvation. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John says. Here he comes, the Messiah. The one not to just cover over sin, but to take sin away. This Jesus is the mightier one. He is strong enough to bind up the strong man, Satan, and plunder his goods, to deliver souls from his possession. This Jesus fully embodied and obeyed the word of God. He is the word made flesh. Jesus was not a hypocrite. Jesus practiced what he preached perfectly. He was not an actor. He was not a a fake or a liar. He was genuine. He was the real deal. And Jesus, he did make judgments, and he made sound judgments of other people. He saw right through their heart, into their hearts. He, does, he didn't judge with just the mere five senses that we had, but he had a divine spirit that he could see into people's hearts. He had that spirit um, that's written about in the book of Isaiah. He is that, that shoot from the stump of Jesse, the one filled with the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and Understanding the spirit of, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he judges the poor with righteousness and decides the affairs of the meek with equity. John talks about this. John talks about Jesus being that judge who will come back. He likens Jesus to a lumberjack of all things, hacking down trees that don't bear fruit and throwing them into the fire. He likens them to a farmer at the end of the wheat harvest. And he comes to separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he gathers into his barn for safekeeping. But the chaff gets burned up. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Of course, we know what that fire is. That's the fires of hell. And people who don't trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, they get fire. But those who get the Holy Spirit, who receive the Holy Spirit, well, this baptism by the Holy Spirit starts When we hear God's word of law and judgment and we're convicted and we're sorrowful and we repent of it and say we're sorry and and this, this word of God's judgment brings us low. But the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit then lifts us up, lifts our eyes up to see our Savior. And there he is, our Savior on the cross, giving his life for the world, giving his body, and his blood for our salvation. And that's where this great exchange happens. Christ's righteousness, his innocence, his purity is given to us who believe in him. And he takes on our sin, our faults, our failures, even our sin of hypocrisy. And it gets nailed to the cross. It gets taken away from us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That great exchange happens on the cross. And that is imputed to us in our baptism too. And we are combined with God in our baptism. uh, With Jesus' death and resurrection, it's given to us. And then he offers his body and his blood continually for us today for our forgiveness here at the sacrament of the altar. Uh, Praise him. Praise him for his grace and mercy. Well, you've been forgiven. You have been set free. And now... The question remains, how do we avoid being hypocrites, right? I would really love for this reason to move down the list 
of barriers to the faith. I'd love to see that. I'm sure you would too. So how do we avoid being hypocrites? So before I get into some uh, practical ways, first point I have is no one lives up to their stated ideals. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist or a Buddhist, no one lives up to their ideals. So if we use this definition, we're all hypocrites to some degree or another. Our conscience convicts us when we do things we ought not to do. Our conscience tells us, you are not fulfilling your potential. You could do and be better. So, we're all hypocrites. Some of us confess it and realize it. Some of us don't. Number two here, um, live a life of constant and continual repentance. Uh, This is what the Scriptures calls us to time and time again, to examine ourselves. This is why we come in to worship and we kneel before our Lord and we confess our sins. We, We repent and we do this. I encourage you to do it continually, every day, all day. Uh, to, Lord, check my heart. Uh, check my heart. A great psalm to pray is 139, verses 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Point number three here is humility. Be humble. This is huge. It cannot be overstated on how not to be a hypocrite. Quickly admit your faults. Admit when you have messed up and done wrong and ask for forgiveness. Be quick to forgive other people, to be gracious with other people. Jesus gives us great insight on this in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not, lest you be judged. Condemn not, lest you be condemned. Take the plank out of your own eye before you, you know, point out the speck in your brother's eye. These are all good teachings. And then finally, number four, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, St. Paul writes in our epistle lesson for this morning. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Another way to say this is accept one another. Accept one another as we are right now. Unconditional love and acceptance of other people in the current, in the present moment. This is huge. This is where the rubber hits the road here in relationships, too. Because incessant and unrealistic expectations of others is really bad for relationships, especially marriage. That's for sure. Uh, But we accept each other with all of our personality and all our faults and failures in the present. And then from that place of acceptance, we can move together toward our calling in Christ Jesus and uh, try to reach Uh, greater heights that way. But essentially, um, Jesus describes how not to be a hypocrite and who these people are with the Beatitudes. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize that they're uh, spiritually poor without God, that they're utterly dependent on Him. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and over the sin they see in the world. Blessed are the humble, the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. And I want to leave you here with uh, Luther's commentary on this second to last beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Luther says this. What is meant by a pure heart is this. One that is watching and pondering what God says. And replacing its own ideas with the word of God. This alone is pure before God. 
Yes, purity itself, which purifies everything that it includes and touches.